Well, it's good to see all of you. Merry day after Christmas. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here so much. I'm David. I'm the pastor, and we're really glad you're here. We got a lot of our folks traveling and out, so whoever's here, thank you all. Let's worship the Lord together. You know, I love Christmas, but I'll be honest, I'm one of those guys that when Christmas is over, it's over, you know? I mean, like, I'll start decorating for Christmas, like, October. I have no problem with that. You know, we have all the stuff we got. I love Christmas. But I'm like, after Debbie and I opened gifts yesterday, I'm like, okay, it's over. Let's take stuff down, you know? Let's go get it all, get it out of here. And she's like, no, we're not doing that. And I'm just not the way I am. I'm that way in church life. We do so many things to prepare for Christmas. I love Christmas, all the celebrations. And then I'm like, okay, it's the day after Christmas. Well, you know, we, we got to get this out. We got to get going. We got to get moving. You know, I'm already thinking, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the series I start next week on uh, Sunday. We're going to go through the gospel of Mark through the end of April, 17 weeks. I mean, I'm ready. I can start preaching that one right now. I'm ready to go. You know, my mind just thinks that way. And sometimes I have to remind myself, now, one of the important things about this kind of week between, you know, the Christmas and start the new year is it is a time not only to reflect but in the past, but really to remember what matters. And sometimes I have to step back and, and say, David, do you, do you remember what matters in life? Do you want, remember what matters at a church? And for a church, for our church, there's really only two things that matter. There's, our purpose is kind of twofold. We want to be sure we honor God. We want to be sure we reach people for Jesus. And I look back in, in, in the year, and I said, did we honor God in what we, things we did? did? Did we reach people? And as I look to the future, and I'm looking at all the things we have planned and things coming up, and I, I'm asking myself constantly, in all of this, are we ultimately going to honor God? And will we, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, reach more people for Christ than we have before? Because that's really what matters. And as we come today, and we're, we're going to come uh, today, and we're going to take uh, the Lord's Supper, what some people call communion. We're going to take that together. A little bit later in the service. And as I think about the kind of series that I just did about the fact that he is coming, and that was kind of our, our Christmas series, I'm reminded that one of the things that the Lord's Supper does is it, is it tells us there is something for us to do until Jesus returns. And so today, I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, until he comes back. Until Jesus comes back. Here's the thing that I would like for you to see in the message today and when we take the Lord's Supper in a little bit. Is that Jesus is coming back. Until then, we worship and we witness. Until he comes back, we worship and we witness. So I'm going to come to this message today, the church at Corinth, and just share with you that the church at Corinth forgot the main thing. I mean, the church at Corinth forgot what really mattered. It was about seven years ago that I came in a view of a call. And when I came in view of a call, I preached a message from Acts chapter 4, verse 12, called The Main Thing. I did the same thing, the church before that, when I went to it in 2005, when I went to Bridgeport. Because I, when I go to a church, and I did it before when I went to Laredo, when I go to a church, I want a church to understand what it's going to be about. And in, in Acts 4, 12, uh, Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Peter says, basically, here's the main thing. People need a Savior, and Jesus is it. And everything that really in, in ministry, for at least the last few decades, that I have tried to accomplish is with the understanding that people need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. And it's, we're not careful. Churches, and it's easy, and I've, and I've had to fight this, it's easy for a church to become inward-focused. It's easy for a church just to think about themselves. In fact, 
I would suggest to you that, you know, Billy, over the last couple of years, with all the stuff that we saw happening, that what a lot of churches did is they just got really inward focused. They just began thinking about themselves and they forgot that it doesn't matter what's going on. That matter all the problems in the world, the problems in our country. We still have to figure out a way and honor God and we still have to reach people because people still need Jesus. Nothing changed. And the church at Corinth forgot that. If you come on Wednesday nights, you know that we're going through 1 Corinthians. And we've gotten up to about chapter 8 so far, so we haven't got to this part. But Paul started the church at Corinth on his second journey, uh, probably 50, 51 A.D. In about 55 A.D., 56, depending on how you date things, he wrote this letter. Now, the church had only been around a few years. It had grown a lot, reached a lot of Gentiles, came from pagan backgrounds. It reached a lot of affluent people and prominent people. It was, it was a church that had all types of people there. And what had happened in the church, the fundamental problem, is it began to break apart into factions and groups. And there was, it was really one group, kind of more than anyone else, kind of moving that direction, breaking it apart, saying basically that, that they had some superior skills and ability, that there was a type of group that could be superior Christians and, and, and better Christians in full capacity. And so it just began to split the group apart. And you saw that really in chapter 11 when Paul talks about coming together to take what we call the Lord's Supper. Now, back then, it was, a, it was a whole feast. They would take it on a regular basis, probably more often than we do, and they would have a whole meal. You know, if they were a good Baptist church, they would have had a potluck. That's what it would have been. You know? And the uh, problem is that this meal, they served a lot of wine, which means they weren't going to be a good Baptist church. They'd have been a pretty good, I don't know, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, you pick. All the churches that like to drink. So, that's not, I shouldn't put it that way. But I did, so I'm going to live with it. I have no New Year's resolutions about not offending anybody in case you were wondering. It just happens. So they would come together, and, and, and what would happen is the more fluent, the wealthier, the ones that could get away, they would come a little earlier, and they begin to eat, and they begin to drink, and uh, they would eat all the food, drink all the wine. You know what happens with that? Well, and so that just began to occur. And, and then the other people, as they would come, there'd be nothing left to celebrate, and so they were supposed to be celebrating Jesus with, with some sort of type of communion, and it was just splitting them apart. So Paul comes, and he says, I'm going to going to have to fix this mess. I'm going to tell you some stuff to get that straightened out. And so we, we see in chapter 11 him dealing with that issue. And he says several things. We're not going to get to all of it. But what he, what he does is he comes to the Lord's Supper, communion itself, and what it means from the point of Jesus. And he gives us a lot of insight. So we see in verse 23 of chapter 11 this. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Now, we don't know how he received it from the Lord. Maybe the Lord shared it with him, or maybe just because he was an apostle and was part of the apostolic tradition. But he said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Now, the night he was betrayed was the night they took the Passover meal. And the Passover meal symbolized the Egyptians, I mean, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And it was a highly symbolic meal. I mean, everything about the meal was symbolic. They took the meal, they celebrated the meal, but it was extremely symbolic. And so Jesus took bread, he says. He, just, he just took the bread, and then we see that he'd given thanks. He broke it. He broke the bread in two and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's saying, this, this is my body. So here we see at the Last Supper, him giving us the Lord's Supper. Now, obviously, it's not really the body of Jesus. Now, later on, when we see the blood, it's not really the blood of Jesus. And so those groups within Christianity that think that somehow... That, you know, the taking of the, of the communion and the wafer and the, and the juice, that it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. It's just, it's just beyond comprehension. Because Jesus didn't think that way. 
Jesus obviously understood this is purely symbolic. Symbolic in its fullest sense. So he said, this is my body. And he broke it. And he said, you do this in, in remembrance of me. And the idea of remembrance is to bring to mind, to call to mind. And so really it's more than just thinking about it. <clears throat> it becomes an act of worship. Because when you think about what Jesus did, it, it moves you hopefully to worship. And, and so this, this concept then of this experience of worship. And then in verse 25 he says in the same way after he took the cup, saying, after the supper he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I do this whenever you drink it and remember it's of me. The cup, the importance of the cup is what it held, what it symbolized is what was in it. Now, they took the rest over the Passover meal, and then they took the cup, and they took the wine. And yes, good Baptist, they still took wine. You know, the wine was wine, you know, and so we have to get over our hang-up with all that stuff. I don't know. We Baptists, I'll pick on Baptists, I'm old, well, I'll pick on everybody, but sometimes we get too hung up on that part. Now, we still serve grape juice, and if it gets fermented, we get a little upset about that. I understand it, but. Some of you don't. Some of you kind of wish we served it. But it was really wine. So don't, you know, it's just really what it was. It wasn't grape juice. And he said, but the wine, the importance of the wine was what it symbolized. And it symbolized the covenant, the new covenant. There was an old covenant. And now there was a new covenant. And what was in that cup symbolized that new covenant. And that new covenant, whenever you took of that, you were to do it in remembrance of Jesus. And then Paul adds this to what Jesus said. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim means to speak forth, to preach of content. What do you preach forth of? The death. The meaning of the death, the importance of the death. Now, you know, we, we like to celebrate at Easter, we celebrate the resurrection. That's what we emphasize, the resurrection. And we should. But there is no resurrection without the death. So the death has real meaning. He hadn't even died yet. And he's saying, this, you know, this is being broken. Paul looks back on what occurred and said, you're proclaiming the death of Jesus. You're proclaiming what he did. And so this brings us in today to share with you really four aspects, four things we should get from this passage to help us in celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And the first is this. The importance of the Lord's Supper is in the act of participation. Us participating in it is what is important. It has no value or true meaning if we don't participate in taking the Lord's Supper together. It is for believers. So it was designed for. Now, if a person's not a believer and they take it, nothing's going to happen. I get that. Now, I remember, you know, growing up, people be all concerned that someone who's not a part of the church or believer may have taken the Lord's Supper. And as a young pastor, I would just say, so what? Does it really matter at all? Tell me what happens when someone who's not a believer takes the Lord's Supper. Because I've always wanted to know what's going to happen. and nothing going to happen. But the truth is, it's for believers. It's for us. And it is for the purpose of unity. It, it unifies us together. We, we come together. See, baptism is a solitary act. While all followers of Christ should be baptized, you get baptized individually. But together we celebrate and come together for the Lord's Supper. And, and so the whole purpose of it is how can a church be split apart? How can there be division within a church when I, uh, you know, the last two churches I passed had splits before I got there. Uh, and I always want to emphasize this before I came, not after I got there. Uh, the church I grew up in split. And what I noticed about splits is that churches get really mean and really ugly and nasty. <laughs> and here's the thing, when a church is mean and ugly and nasty, 
Nobody from the outside ever wants to come to that church. In fact, nobody ever wants to pastor that church either, I tell you. Who wants to be a part of a church that's splitting apart? And I always wondered, how, how could you take the Lord's Supper when you're angry with people in your church? How dare you take the Lord's Supper when you're angry with people in your church? It's for believers to unify us, but it also has meaning. It's meaningful. In fact, the second thing I would share with you is the meaning, really, of, of communion the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper speaks to the sacrifice and substitution of Jesus and his establishing a new covenant. What the Lord's Supper does is it, it tells us something that is doctrinal, theological, if you would, it's important. When taking the bread, it reminds us that Jesus in his body did two things. He died in our place and he died on our behalf. He is our sacrifice on our behalf and our substitute in our place. Now there are some who uh, shy away from this understanding of the cross. <clears throat> but to do that is to shy away from what Jesus taught and the apostles taught clearly. Some want to make, even within Christianity, that the the cross event was Jesus as an example. Jesus showing us how to live. Jesus sacrificing himself to motivate us and inspire us, you know, to, to live better lives or to come to God. At the end of the day, they take away from the importance of the death of Christ. And they leave us still stuck having to do good deeds and works to be saved, which is impossible. The book of Hebrews shares with us clearly that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. See, in the Jewish system, every year there was a major sacrifice for all the people. The sacrifice of their sins. And then there was also just every day people would come and, and offer up sacrifices for sin. And, and whatever they offered, be it the bull, be it the, be it the sheep, whatever they could afford. You know, it, it didn't get the job done. It just symbolized something. It symbolized, you know, God forgive us, we're sorry. But it actually didn't do anything. It couldn't take away your sins. But Jesus on the cross... Literally, in the literal sense of the word, literally, did something to our sins. He paid the price for them. He took them. But not only that, when he died as our substitute, he died in our place. Some people shy away from the substitutionary death of Christ, but you're, you're shying away from the clear teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. He died in our place. We should die for our sin. But he dies for our sins. He takes all of that punishment for us. In doing so, by the shedding of his blood, he establishes a new covenant. So that wine that represented the blood of Christ represents the covering of sin. It is the ultimate sacrifice. There need not be any more. The book of Hebrews makes clear there's no more sacrifice coming. This is it. And the new covenant replaces the old. There are some who incorrectly feel and think, and maybe you've read this or been taught this, that when the time comes, God is going to want Israel to reinstitute and, and put back in place the sacrificial system and the temple and all that stuff. And while the people of Israel, you know, the Jews nation may want to do that, the idea that this is what God is going to have implemented for the purpose of saving some is wrong. It is in a complete disagreement with everything we're taught in the New Testament. Hebrews 8.13 says this, the new covenant has made the old covenant obsolete. When something is obsolete, it is of no value. In fact, we're told the old covenant has disappeared. Jesus is the only way to God. His death makes that clear. 
with that in mind, then we need to realize that the significance of the Lord's Supper is in its dual purpose, which is worship and witness. Its significance is in what the purpose. What are we doing when we're taking this? Well, we're worshiping because we're remembering. We're worshiping, honoring God. But we're bearing witness. We are saying we are followers of Christ. In the history of Christianity, even today, those groups that are in places where Christianity is illegal, if they want to persecute Christians and when they do persecute Christians, one of the best ways to do it is to find a time when they're taking communion or the Lord's Supper. Because at that moment, they are proclaiming followership, following Christ. They are bearing witness of Jesus. And that's the thing we need to see. That's what we do, is we proclaim Christ. And when you think back to what I shared at the beginning of the message, that the purpose of the church is to honor God and to reach people for Jesus. That's what you see in the Lord's Supper. We, wit- we witness, we reach people, we worship, we honor God. All throughout our faith, that is what we are told to do. Honor God, reach the lost. Which means then that the Lord's Supper is also a promise that will, Jesus will return. It proclaims he is coming. Paul says, as often as you do this, you proclaim his death until he comes because he's coming. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, he talked about not taking up again until his kingdom, until all has been accomplished. I shared with you back in the Christmas time that when we look at the coming of Jesus, as people in America, we tend to think of, of Jesus coming as two different events. There's the first coming, and then a period of time, there's a second coming. It's two separate things. And I get that you know, as our Western mindset, I do it too. But really, in, in the biblical frame of things, it's just one coming. There's the beginning, and then there's the end. His first coming inaugurates his kingdom. He has come. His kingdom is here. The second coming consummates it. It finishes it. He's established it. It is done. And all that waits is eternity. When we partake, we are pointing to the fact he's coming again. Now, our purpose in life isn't to figure out when he's coming. Some do try that. It's not our purpose. Our purpose is to live with the expectation he may come at any time. Historically, and if you go back to the time of the New Testament, they all believe they lived in the last times, that Christ could come and would come at any point. And throughout the history of the church, it has always been understood that we should live our life with the expectation that Christ could come at any time. When we partake of the elements, when we partake of communion, that's what we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again for all of us. Which you must ask yourself, and you must understand, is if we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, will he then be coming for you? Will he be coming for you? This past year, we saw a lot of people come to faith in Christ. That's exciting. This next year, we anticipate more people coming to Christ. We look forward to that, to celebrate that. And it may be that you're in a place in your life where you've never trusted Jesus. We always want to ask, why not? Why haven't you 
trusted Christ. Why would you not trust the one who came to save you, to give his life in your place and on your behalf? And if you've never done that, why don't you do that now? Why, why not end this year as you begin the next year as a follower of Jesus? Trusting him to save you. And if you haven't done it, do that. In a moment, some of us will be standing here. And if you've never trusted Christ, you can come and give your life to him then too. <clears throat> For some of you, you have people you love and care about who aren't followers of Jesus. And you want them to be that way. You want them to come to Christ. So maybe in an invitation time, you, you'd like to just pray with us. and Say, pray for the one we love. We get this all the time. That somehow they may come to Jesus. Maybe you're struggling with your faith. And you want to renew and recommit yourself to Christ. You can do that where you are. If you want us to pray with you, we will. If you want to join our church, you can. But as we get ready in just a moment to partake of the Lord's Supper, the thing that really is important for you is to be sure you understand why Christ came. He came to save you. And if he hasn't saved you, there's something terribly wrong in your life. And you need to give your life to Christ. You need to let him reach you. And you need to honor God. So, Father, as we come to this time when we are soon to take communion together, we do want to honor you and praise you and give you all the glory that is yours. And for those who have never trusted Christ to ever be their Savior, we ask now that you would touch them in such a way as they would trust you completely. Father, we would live our lives to glorify and to honor you. And Father, we would live our lives to help other people come to Christ. So in these few moments of our invitation, speak to us through your spirit. Move in our life. We pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here. You come.